Welcome back to Unstable and Unbridled. I'm Liz. And I'm Rachel. We have a special guest on today, Dr. Kyla Oz. She's an equine chiropractor and owner of Animal Connections. Hi, Kyla. Hi, Rachel. Hi, Liz. Thanks for having me on. Well, we're so excited to have you on the show today, and we just uh, have a list of questions that we're going to ask you a little bit about how you got started, and we'll go from there. All right, sounds good. So the first question um, is kind of just about your general involvement with horses. How did you get involved? Well, when I was growing up, um, my parents had horses, and so I remember from a really young age um, being really enamored by horses they've kind of I've always been around them I had the opportunity my mom ended up um, teaching lessons um, and having a boarding stable in Loretto Um, and so horses were just a part of my everyday life and I was pretty involved with pony club when I was younger Um, and so I've just been really grateful to have horses in my life Um, my parents went through kind of a nasty divorce and I was able to get out um, and spend more time with horses out in California. And, that, and now being an animal chiropractor, it's fun to kind of be able to give back to them because I feel like they've always been a big part of my life. And, you know, to me, horses, I love how in the moment they are. Um, and a lot of times I feel like they're a lot more straightforward and honest than most people. They definitely help me to ground myself and be more present. And a big part of why I love my job is, you know, it's a real special feeling when you can help a horse. And I I love being able to see that expression in their eye when you're able to help them feel better. Um, It's cool how they, you know, they they really have so much um, that they can give back to us. And so I feel like they help me to be a better human. So I'm very grateful to have them in my life. I love that. That's such a good, eloquent way to say it because they are such like pathetic animals. And I think a lot of people who don't have horses don't really realize that about them. But um, some studies, I think, have shown they're even more empathetic than dogs, which is hard to imagine with the whole man's best friend idea. But they're pretty special. They sure are. Yeah, and I really... I really like what you said about, you know, wanting to give back to horses, especially as we're young and learning about whatever sport we choose or the different kinds or we're training our first horses. It's, you know, later in life, you realize that if you had known what you know now, you could have done so many things differently. But that's just how life goes. Mm -hmm. Um, So what is your academic background? Um, So I... I have a bachelor's of science in human biology, um, and then I actually went to human chiropractic school, um, Northwestern Health Sciences University in Bloomington, Minnesota. Um, In order to do chiropractic with animals, you have to either become a human chiropractor or a veterinarian first. And then you can go on to do specialized training in animal chiropractic. There are actually only um, a handful of schools in the country that provide that training to human chiropractors and veterinarians. Um, And so I always tell people it's really important that whoever you have adjust your animal is certified. There are two main uh, certifying bodies, um, the IVCA, which is the International Veterinary Chiropractic Association, or the AVCA, the American Veterinary Chiropractic Association. Unfortunately, there are some like weekend courses that just anybody can take. Um, So I do like 
people to know, like in order to be certified, it took me over eight years of higher education and I have a doctorate. And so it's really, you wanna make sure that whoever you have work on your animal is properly certified because a weekend seminar is not nearly enough in order to um, do a good job, so. That's really interesting. You also provide training for some of those classes, don't you? Yep, uh-huh. Um, I have been involved with teaching both at Options for Animals in the past, but as of late, I've been teaching continuing education seminars here in Minnesota for certified animal chiropractors. So I enjoy um, having the opportunity to give back in that way so that we can help share ideas and so that we can help the animals at the end of the day. I remember like many, many years ago when you were still practicing on humans, um, I came to see you in Plymouth at your office there and talking to you about like, you know, what to do because I was thinking about medical school and we talked a lot about the undergraduate degree um, and then going on from there. So yeah, I think it is really, really important that people do know that you are a, you are a doctorate educated person. You're not just like a random that's come off the street to start smashing on horses after the weekend. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, it's important. Unfortunately, a, a lot of what is called chiropractic is not actually chiropractic. The fact that I have, you know, taught continuing education seminars, sometimes it's crazy what I hear people say that people call chiropractic. Like, for example, I've had clients who people have used mallets on the horses, and that's actually really dangerous, and unfortunately it's more common than you might think. There's no way to really control the amount of force that you use when you use a mallet, and you know there are delicate structures, there's cartilage over the tops of those bones that the chiropractors use as handles for adjustments, and you can definitely do damage. You know, I think a lot of times people, they see a large animal and they think that you need to be really aggressive, But I always tell people, you know, horses, they are so sensitive, they can feel a fly on their skin. And so I tell them it's a lot like riding. If you have good technique, you can be very gentle and you can work with the horse. And I tell people, you know, it's a good idea to watch someone work on a horse before you have them work on your own. Because if you wouldn't want them to do that to yourself or to your child, they probably shouldn't be doing that on your animal. (laughs) Yeah. That is a good way to relate it to people, I think. (laughs) So I know you used to ride and train professionally. How did you make that transition from being a professional trainer to wanting to become a chiropractor and getting involved in the animal chiropractic care? Um, Well, so I was doing a fair amount of training and showing out in California, and that was actually how I got introduced to chiropractic. The trainer that I was working for at the time, she had the horses adjusted, and I noticed a big difference in the horses, and so I figured, well, this must actually do something, because it's not like you can tell a horse, okay, you're going to feel better now. You know, either it works or it doesn't, and so that really made a big impression on me, so I started getting adjusted, and I was able to see the positive benefits of chiropractic, not only for the horses, but also myself. And so, you know, I I decided that it was something that I wanted to pursue. I feel training horses, it's so important that we take really good care of them physically and also considering their mental health. It's just riding and training horses, I saw how much 
that we demand of them. And so I decided that chiropractic would be a great career in order to help the horses um, to be able to perform at their best. That's such an interesting point, too, that you make about um, like it either works or it doesn't, because I think that's kind of one of the most frustrating parts about working with animals. But also one of the best parts is that they really don't have any ulterior motives, like either it just gets better or it doesn't. Right. So, um, you know, I think that's what makes makes animal medicine, chiropractic, etc. So interesting just because the best part about it is also kind of the worst part about it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's true. <laughs> Come and make it tricky. Um, so what do you think are like the major benefits that you can get from equine chiropractic care? Well, I definitely think improved range of motion is a big one. Um, improved symmetry of movement. You know, I find that a lot of horses are like people in that they tend to have a dominant side and a weaker side. And so chiropractic can definitely help the horses to move more evenly. And that's definitely going to have a big effect on their overall performance. Another thing that I think that people don't always um, think about and which I wish that we would I think it's starting to be a little bit more recognized now, but um, looking, considering stress, like overall stress on the system. And so not only looking at physical health, but also like mental and emotional. So a lot of times with my clients, not only are we adjusting the horses and trying to work on soft tissue techniques and different exercises to strengthen the horses and work with their tension, but also a lot of times I'll be talking with my clients as far as how we can promote mental and emotional balance. So maybe we talk about some grooming techniques to help an anxious horse be a little bit more relaxed prior to riding. But as far as chiropractic, you know, not only is it helping to improve performance, but also trying to promote optimal health overall. So, you know, kind of trying to address um, all of those factors. What do you think the best way someone can integrate chiropractic care into their overall health plan for their horses? Well, I think one thing that's really important is um, trying to build a care team that's willing to work together. So I feel very strongly that an integrative approach is best for the horse. So that might include your trainer, your vet, your farrier, your chiropractor, maybe massage therapist, saddle fitter, or any other health professional depending on your horse. But I think it's really important that the team members can communicate with each other um, because everybody looks at the horse a little bit differently. And so it helps to have a more complete picture of your horse's health. A lot of times when it comes to particular treatments, uh, I think that you can maximize benefits by having a team that works together. For example, let's say your vet you're having an issue with the horse and you have your vet out and let's say the vet determines that your horse has hock pain and let's say they recommend hock injections. Well, a lot of times a horse has to compensate for pain in other areas of the body. So if you can coordinate the timing of treatments, so for example, let's say you inject the horse's hocks, well, it can be very beneficial to follow up two to four weeks later and adjust the horse to address any compensations. Unfortunately, a lot of times what happens is you have a bunch of different people working on a horse at different times. And so maybe if you have that horse, the horse is going to get adjusted, but it doesn't make sense if you're also going to inject the hocks 
why adjust the horse two days before you inject the hocks? Because the horse is still compensating for pain from their hocks. So again, when we can have a dialogue and everybody's on the same page, from my perspective, it makes more sense to get the, the maximum benefit from all treatments to time those treatments. So let's say you inject the hocks, you come back and you adjust the horse two to four weeks later. Well, not only have the hock injections had some time to take an effect, but then you also have a clear idea of, okay, what benefit did we see injecting the hocks? And then what benefit did we see from adjusting the horse? So it kind of gives you a clear picture of what did what. And then, like I said before, I think overall you're going to have a better benefit by uh, doing both of those treatments in a timely manner that optimizes care. Absolutely. And I found over the years, as I've developed you know, my training program and as it keeps evolving, that it is so important to have a team of people that are able to work together. Like if my vet doesn't believe in chiropractic, well then obviously we're not going to work well together because that's something I integrate into my horse's, you know, routine care. Or if my farrier and vet don't see eye to eye, then it's going to be difficult to work with, you know, potential lameness issues or anything like that. So that's definitely something I found as a trainer is, is very important is making sure you have a good team that each individual supports each other. And it can be like telephone too. It's helpful when, different people are willing to talk directly to each other because otherwise, you know, if one person says something and then it's communicated to another, well, you know, we've all played that game of telephone. (laughs) Well, and I think too, it's really sort of interesting. Like I would say veterinary medicine and equine or animal chiropractic is kind of ahead of the game compared to human medicine because a lot of you know, human doctors or providers um, maybe don't have the best relationship with chiropractic care all the time. And so it can be hard to integrate. Like, you know, some people think it's just kooky or whatever. And and I think if that's something that's important to the patient and helps make them feel better, it's important to recognize that that's, you know, part of their care plan. And in that way, I think that animals are actually kind of receiving more benefit than humans, which is a little bit of a surprise, but certainly works better for the patient overall, I think. Mm -hmm. Definitely. If there was one thing you wish people knew about equine chiropractic care, what would it be? Oh, Liz, it's hard for me to boil it down to just one thing. (laughs) Okay, you can pick a couple things. Yeah. Well, I would say one thing that's really important is that I tell people all the time that the number one reason why your horse needs to be adjusted is because we get on them and we ride them. I think sometimes it's easy for us to forget how much that we're asking of our horses. And so I feel very strongly that any horse that you ride or that has been ridden or driven for that matter would benefit from an evaluation. Unfortunately, a lot of times people wait until there's a big problem and the horse is in a lot of pain before they have the horse checked out. So I guess this is my number two, don't wait until a big problem because the sooner you're able to identify um, small problems, it's much easier to resolve, fewer adjustments um, than waiting until then there's a big issue and then it just you know takes more time, takes more dollars to resolve an issue. 
Um, and so kind of along those lines, um, what do you say or how do you talk to people who are maybe a little skeptical about chiropractic care? Well, I tell them it's not a religion. <laughs> it works whether you believe it or not. Um, <laughs> and, you know, I, I definitely welcome skeptics. My father-in-law was one of my biggest skeptics. Uh, when I first met him, he, he told me, he said, there are two kinds of people that I don't trust. Lawyers and chiropractors. And now, mind you, his daughter's a lawyer, okay? So, so I'm fine with that. Like, to me, I'm not going to push it on people. I figure they'll come to me in their own time. So my father-in-law, he slipped on the ice, and he was in a lot of pain. And so it was either me or the medical doctor. So he decided to take his chance on me. And so after one adjustment, he was way better, and he has never given me crap since. <laughs> so, um, but to better answer your question, like I always encourage people to start with an evaluation so then we can see where your horse is at. Um, I do think that one thing that people hesitate about is they're afraid that, oh, once you get your horse adjusted, you're going to have to keep getting them adjusted. And I tell them that each horse is an individual and has different requirements. So a lot of what determines how often a horse benefits from chiropractic care depends on what's going on. So younger animals tend to to need less care than, you know, maybe older ones that already have an issue. Their workload is also a major consideration. Are, are they in a heavy show schedule? They might need more support during that time. So, you know, I have everything from horses that get checked maybe once a year to horses that maybe get worked on once a month. So it really depends on that particular animal, what is going on with that animal, and also what you expect of the animal. What a crazy rumor. Like, where did that start? Because I think that's one of the prevailing concerns about, like, joint <laughs> injections, too, is once you start doing steroids, yeah. you can never stop. I don't Like, who started that? Yeah. <laughs> I don't know. I think I know who started it. It was... <laughs> And I'm just going to step out there and say this. I think it's human chiropractors <laughs> because any time I've gone to a human chiropractor, they say you have to keep coming back. You have to come three times a week, at least for the initial six weeks. And this is what we need to do in order to fix you. And it wouldn't surprise me if people think the same thing about horses, you know, and. So Liz, I think it's good that you bring this up. And I feel like a lot of clients may have had previous negative experiences with chiropractors. There's a lot of variability in any profession as far as how people practice and what their particular strengths and weaknesses are. I think in general, the chiropractic profession tends to push a high frequency of adjustments. And in my professional opinion, I think a lot of times it's excessive. I think that anybody that you're working with, you should be able to have a dialogue about that and figure out, you know, what is reasonable care for your animal or for yourself. I really encourage you to advocate for your horse and advocate for yourself. And if something isn't working for you, find someone else. It's kind of like finding a horse trainer that works for you. Um, you know, you got to find someone that, that works for you and helps you to accomplish your goals. Yeah. And I think that's really important too, for people to understand that not everybody works for everybody and that yeah. that's okay. Like you can go through different trainers or different 
farriers or different vets or different chiropractors just to find someone and their belief system and how they do things that works well with what you believe in. Are there, well, we kind of already touched on this a little bit, but are there other forms of care or body work um, other than obviously standard veterinary care that you encourage in addition to chiropractic? One thing that I really encourage people to do is take time in their grooming sessions. I think that there's a lot that people can do for their own horses, um, whether it's specific massage or body work techniques, or just figuring out what your horse likes during the grooming process. In my experience, if you can take some time for some body work for your own horse on a regular basis, I think that there's a huge benefit for that, not only to help the horse physically, but also your connection with the horse. So that's something that I'm always trying to encourage my clients to do. It's a good idea. I know um, in the past you've taught me many treat stretches and tickling under their bellies to get them to lift their back and stuff. Um, and I personally love grooming. That's like one of my favorite parts of being at the barn. So it's always a good to feel like not only you're grooming the horse well, because that's what good horsemen do, but also that you can help them potentially stretch or, you know, activate some of those muscle groups that maybe could use a little bit more help on a day-to-day basis. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I like what you said about, you know, the mental side of things. If you can find something that they just enjoy or something that makes them feel good, you know, whether it's giving them a scratch on a certain area of their body and, you know, they flip their lip up and show you they like it. Like it's important to spend quality time like that with your horse. Yes, totally. If the horse always feels like it's a job, You might have trouble catching them in the pasture. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. And I think, too, that that regular grooming time is important to help with your horse's overall care. Like, so that if the vet comes out and says, oh, have they always had this bump? You can say yes or no. Um, Because, you know, they're full of all sorts of bumps and bruises and variability in their, you know, physical stature. And if you don't know when somebody asks you something it doesn't look very good (laughs) yeah and I think getting a good sense of what is normal for your horse is really important for sure so well and I think it's good too like you said when you maybe do your first evaluation on a horse you might point out some things to the owner that maybe they never even noticed even if they know their horse really well like maybe one side is atrophied more than the other but they're just so used to looking at their animal every day that They almost don't notice that. And then, you know, it just brings about a new perspective and something each owner can be aware of. Mm -hmm. So what are the different types of animals you do work on regularly? And is there any like really weird animal you've ever worked on? (laughs) (laughs) Well, these days, my focus is horses. I pretty much almost exclusively work on horses. I I see a few dogs here and there, but um, horses are definitely my passion and my focus. Um, I have worked on a number of different animals. My strangest requests always come directly from veterinarians. I had a veterinarian ask me to work on her daughter's pet chicken. So I feel like I need to work on a certain number of a species before I'll actually charge for it. So I don't charge for chickens. Fair. (laughs) I do charge for cows. I've worked on enough cows. I do charge for dogs, cats, rabbits, pigs. Did I already say cow? Goat. Yeah. 
But other animals, I've, I've worked on a ferret before. I did not charge for that. <laughs> Maybe this is like a bad stereotype on my part, but I didn't realize anyone like cared enough about their cows to have them chiropractic. <laughs> yeah, so I used to... Or a chicken. <laughs> I used to go down to um, town and country. So it's a vet clinic down in Winona. I used to go there once a month. And... They have quite a few cows that they see. So like show cows, it's definitely a thing because if they're limping or not standing square, they're not going to show as well. So yeah, cows are definitely a thing. That's understandable. How do you know if your chicken is out of alignment? (laughs) (laughs) So the chicken that I was asked to work on had run into a sliding glass door. Oh, no. And so I was a little nervous about working on the chicken because I'm like, great, it probably like broke its neck and now the littlest thing and it's, you know, going to be the end. I'm going to kill it to stroke out the second you touch it. (laughs) So this is part of why I did not charge because I just wiggled some stuff around. (laughs) I did not kill the chicken, though. That's why you always have to leave a safety smudge on the door. (laughs) (laughs) Liz, you're looking at me like you haven't heard of that. It's... I've never so heard of that. I don't know. So literally like a smudge on windows and I saw it on Frasier actually, which is my second favorite show. Shocking. And, um, <laughs> so when I went through my like manic Marie Kondo cleaning phase about a month ago, I cleaned the window, my big bay window in my house inside and out and I forgot to leave a safety smudge and I kid you not, within 12 <laughs> hours there was a dead bird that had hit the window. <laughs> so we just leave one little smudge. <laughs> I'm going to tell my husband those are safety smudges. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I'm going to claim that all my windows. Don't I just worry. wanted to make sure it had safety smudges on them so I didn't kill any birds. <laughs> you hear that, Heidi? They're safety smudges. <laughs> the same reason I'm not mowing in May. It's for the bees. <laughs> hey, Liz, do you remember when we were in Florida and I tried feeling the spines on the manatees? <laughs> Yes. <laughs> Too much blubber. Go, you should go and try and do an adjustment on a manatee at someone's aquarium. <laughs> Too much blubber, I think. Yeah. <laughs> Too hard to get through. Do they do manatees have spines? Oh yeah. I mean they're so mammals. So here's a, here here's some trivia for you. Oh yeah. Every mammal has seven cervical vertebrae. Actually, except the manatee and the sloth, they have six. But even giraffes have seven. So if you have six, then you're really slow, like a giraffe or like a sloth or a manatee. Yes. Do all mammals have like the fur two that kind of swivel around each other? I believe so. I don't know of one that doesn't. I don't know what that means. Yeah. There's a lot more variability in the thoracic and lumbar spine as far as like number of vertebrae. Definitely more the thoracic spine Hmm. between mammals. So there's some fun facts for (laughs) you. Like a little uh, pathetic, given that I touch people's spines every day at work for some reason or another. But I always remember the the number of vertebra per section because it's like mealtimes. So you have seven cervical, 12 thoracic, 
and then five lumbar. It's like the dinner times. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. <laughs> that's a good one. So I never thought of that's that. That's how I passed tests. Seven, 12, <laughs> yeah. five. Genius. Genius. Anyways. Huh. So Kyla, this is nothing to do with the business really, but what are you currently doing with horses and riding and do you have any of your own personal goals um yeah I, I have two little quarter horses um that I enjoy trail riding with and then I actually have um two horses that I'm working with a client uh that just imported from Spain that I'm playing with I still really enjoy um riding and training I think it's really fun to try to bring out the full potential in each horse and you know I really do try to draw on my experience both from training and the chiropractic side to try to do the the most I can for the animals Um, but I feel like you know riding for the rest of my life I'll always learn stuff so you know it's something that still interests me and you know it's fun to do along the way as well. Absolutely I think that's one of my favorite things that also frustrates me at the same time. I feel like there's so much to know and you never can even know all of it or close to all of it or. (laughs) Yep. And on the flip side, it's essentially at every level, the same stuff over and over again. (laughs) Just like a slightly more advanced version of the same things. (laughs) I always tell that to my students, like, oh, like, this winter is a good example. I would have some of my students come and watch my lessons and <laughs> we pretty much would do the same thing. I would do the same thing in my lessons as they would do in their lessons with me. Mm-hmm. And, you know, that's also a good point. Like when it comes to my clients, a lot of times people, they want these really complicated or exciting things for me to tell them to do with their animals. But so often I feel like grooming people need to spend more time a proper warm-up people need to spend more time and cool down and conditioning like it's always those you know same essential things like you said regardless of the level so so important to have those foundation right it's like the core of everything basically and yeah for all the people who are always looking for the quick fix it's just not there Mm -hmm. it's just Time on the ground and in the saddle, that's the fix. (laughs) Yep. And I do think that sometimes people view chiropractic as trying to be a quick fix. I do have a lot of people who have this expectation that chiropractic can resolve lamenesses or have this miraculous effect where they're going to be able to move up to the next level. And this is also why I always... I'm emphasizing integrative care because it's not like you can use one thing or the other. And, you know, sometimes I will tell people, hey, now is not the time to adjust your horse until let's maybe have the horse's teeth floated first, or, you know, they need some work on their feet, or let's work up this lameness. You know, chiropractic is not a replacement for traditional care and basic care in that way. So... Just another reminder, he can't skip things. Speaking of integrative care, at one point last year, you and Dr. Reardon were doing um, like a study together. Is, is that still mm-hmm. going or is that something you can talk about at this point? Yeah, um, we kind of had to put it on a hiatus with all this COVID stuff going on. Um, but Dr. Reardon has this really interesting technology. It's called a lameness locator. And I was really interested in it because um, when 
lameness can be so subjective and the, the lameness grading scale, it has limitations. And so I was interested in this technology because it's an objective way to measure very small changes in the horse's gait. And so one thing that we wanted to study is can changing the horse's intersegmental motion affect the symmetry of the horse's movement. So basically what that means is when I adjust a horse, so the spine needs to be able to move at every level and you have small movements at every level, but overall that can really add up to big changes. So the question was, is these changes that we're making through the adjustments, will that actually result in a measurable change in the symmetry of their movement? So Again, what can be hard to determine is what is asymmetry and what is lameness, but we were really interested in this technology and studying that um, to see if it's something that we can use as a measure of the changes we make through chiropractic adjustments. So it's ongoing, but yeah, it's exciting. Yeah, I'll be really excited to see the results of that because I've seen that machine in action actually. Um, I Magic had an injury uh, about two years ago, was it now, Liz? Yeah, um, I think two or two and a half years ago. He had like a mystery lameness in a right front leg that, you know, at first I just kind of like threw him out in the pasture and figured it would get better, and then it didn't. <laughs> um, so um, we were using that lameness tracker to kind of track his progress throughout basically his year of rehab, and it was super, super helpful, like for the relative kind of tracking of his lameness. It wasn't like, oh, we're going to base all our care around what this machine says, but, mm-hmm. you know, it helped show some, like, asymmetry in his other limbs so I could strengthen those up through my work on the flat, and it helped kind of keep track of how things were coming along. So I think that'll be a great um, a great way to look at how chiropractic care can influence them. It's pretty cool. Yeah. And I do also think that it helps, you know, as humans, we have limitations, like as far as your memory, you know, how did that horse look before? So like you said, it doesn't replace a, um, you know, a vet who's really good at lameness, but it's just something that could help track over time because it's hard to remember exactly where they were at the last time. So, yeah. Yeah, I agree with that. And I think it would be a really neat tool to use even if there aren't any issues. So you could, Mm -hmm. you know, use it as a performance tool so that you are checking in regularly with it, you know, that you know how your horse moves because they are asymmetrical and move differently on different limbs and different directions. And if you kind of have an idea of what their baseline is, then you do know when there's an issue you can use the tool more effectively. Well, no, I agree. And that totally also placed what I was saying before, as far as the sooner you identify an issue before it's a big problem, I think it's easier to address more effectively than waiting until the horse is like super, super lame and you have this big problem. Yeah, absolutely. And I guess what I was trying to say was if your horse is lame and you put the lameness tester on them, and you were able to do a baseline before, then at least you know how different it is. Where if you hadn't done a previous baseline, Mm -hmm. you don't really know if that's what the actual cause is or if that's how they move normally or, you know. Yep. 
Right. Like in Magic's case, his injury was on the right foreleg. Um, but we started noticing some left hind asymmetry. He wasn't like clinically lame. Um, and we didn't do anything quote unquote medical for it, but we started work like in my flat work, I started doing a lot more lateral work to engage that left hind. And he went from dragging his toe on that side to now being like much more symmetrical. So we were able to kind of during his rehab target something before um, kind of on in this track, it's sort of a controversial topic, but what is your, what are your thoughts on um, kissing spine? I feel like that's the hot diagnosis in sport horses. (laughs) Yeah. You know, it's really interesting. I've worked on a lot of horses that have been diagnosed with kissing spines. And what's interesting to me is that I've also seen horses have issues with that and then change programs and no longer require the same treatment. I think that what people don't always realize is that they see the horse's back and they see, oh, that looks like a perfect spot for the human to sit. And they don't understand that the horse, they have these dorsal spinous processes, which are the bumps that you can feel on your back. And from the withers until about where the seat of the saddle is, those processes all point towards the tail. Well, right where we sit, they have what's called the anticlinal, and that dorsal spinous process points straight up and down. And then all the vertebrae behind that, the dorsal spinous process points towards the horse's head. So one thing that people don't understand is when you sit on the horse, you're already making the horse's back extended. And so you have this area where the dorsal spinous processes naturally are going to overlap when the horse's back is extended. So I think that a lot of times, in my experience anyway, horses might be diagnosed with kissing spines and some of it, not all cases, but in a lot of cases, it's more of a functional issue. So if we can better help the horse to accommodate for the the weight of the rider, so the horse is able to lift the back better and easier through core strengthening, through getting out of the horse's way, you know, a lot of times we affect how the horse holds its head and neck. And so if we can alter some of these factors, we can actually have less stress on the back and then it can become less of an issue. So what I don't think a lot of people understand is that all horses are predisposed to having this issue. It's just some, it ends up clinically showing up as an issue more so than others. I don't, I should, I should look this up. I don't know the exact study, but I read that there were that if you took x-rays of like all horses, some say as high as 80% of horses might show some clinical sign on x-rays of kissing spines, but not all of those horses are going to have clinical signs of kissing spines. So not all of those horses are going to have back pain. So, you know, I I have had cases where I do think like more medical intervention has been necessary, but this is also the tricky part because I have seen a lot of bad riding contribute, even things like nutrition, because if that horse has poor nutrition, they're not going to be able to build up the muscle that they need to 
develop the muscles to stabilize the back. So I feel like kissing spines, it's a very complicated issue and it really depends on that specific horse and those specific factors as far as what is needed to get that horse more functional and more comfortable. Yeah, and I feel like that's a topic we could talk all day on. I mean, x-rays don't always mean anything, (laughs) you know, and I think that I think that is what can make uh, pre-purchase exams so difficult when you're because you're looking at x-rays a lot and there might be some pretty gnarly things on their x-rays that they just don't show any clinical symptoms. So as a potential buyer, you kind of have to decide what your risk is and what you're willing to manage or not manage. Mm -hmm. And I think also knowing your particular situation, you know, like being honest with yourself, like let's say I'm a beginner rider and on a pre-purchase it you know shows up some kissing spines on the x-rays well maybe that horse is more predisposed to having an issue if realistically I have trouble riding that horse in a way that's going to help support them but let's say you're you're committed to being in a program with a trainer that can help that horse well that might be a different deal so I think it's hard It, it all depends but I think that if you are realistic about your situation um, and, you know, to what is possible, then I think that that also affects your decision on whether you buy that horse or not, like your expectations of how that horse is going to perform. Right. And kind of on the flip side of that, too, like the, you know, the beginner rider whose lifelong goal is to run a training level, like you don't need clean x-rays if the horse is clinically sound, right? Like for the most part, which is Mm -hmm. such a, that is like such a fiery debate right now, I think. Well, and I think it's so hard, you know, I will buy horses off the track and resell them. And these days I I have to do full sets of x-rays on them so that I know that they're saleable a year down the road, even if they don't have any clinical symptoms. And even if I'm not selling them for more than $15,000, you know, people want x-rays and if they're not clean, they don't want to buy your horse. <laughs> yeah. Hopefully that attitude is shifting a little bit though. Cause I, I feel like some really big names have come forward and said like the x-rays aren't the end all be all. You have to work with your whole team to see you know, what makes sense for you and what's manageable and what doesn't really mean anything. So maybe think, maybe the tides are turning, but I don't know. It's hard to say. I can hope. (laughs) We we can only hope. So yeah, I think that kind of wraps up all the questions that we had. And it was very fun talking to you and hearing all of, you know, your experiences and perspectives. (laughs) Thanks, Liz. Yeah, for sure. You have uh, great expertise to offer, and we're lucky to have you in our area to help uh, service all of our horses. I know you do a lot of work out at Copeland, which all of us and our horses appreciate. Well, thanks, Rachel. I really appreciate that. Thanks for having me on. (laughs) 